Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Mia. So, due to our current change of events, we're doing things a little bit differently. We got an opportunity to hang out. I don't want to be sitting up here all by myself. I heard that I had the ability to do it with no pants on. If you just see it in my face, but I'm not quite that weird. And so I invited Chris. Hey, guys. He's part of the teaching team, pastor. And I invited Boomer, who's the uh, family pastor now. Yep. And upgraded. So we're going to approach this in a bit of a team teaching style approach. Um, just so you know, there's not going to be like a fluffy intro, no story. We're just going to jump right in. So when you are thinking about why everything exists, you basically only have two options, chance or a creator. When it comes down to chance, it means that a very hot, small, and dense super force, that's a term that scientists use, somehow came into existence, and 13.8 billion years ago, for some reason, they started to expand or had a big bang. Right? This random collection of materials eventually turned into atoms out of which you and I were formed. Or, a super powerful, all-knowing being intentionally made everything. You know, when you consider it at the foundation, it's got to be one or the other. Either random chance or created by a being. And what's interesting, for me anyway, is that Either one of these requires faith. You know, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, 1, defined faith for us. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So whether you're explaining our reality through the lens of science's best supported theory of universe origin, that's how they put it, the Big Bang, or through the Bible's explanation of where life came from, either way, you are using faith. You have a conviction of things not yet seen, a belief in things that cannot be proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you ask the question of where life came from, it's not possible to answer it in a black and white, beyond a shadow of a doubt sort of way. Either way, it requires faith. A choice to believe that what you believe is true. Now, I'm curious, how do you guys feel about that statement? Talking to Christians who have been Christians for a long time. Yeah. 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 Boomer? Excellent. Thank <laughs> you, Chris. Now, you know, I, when, I, when I look at those two choices, for me, um, it's, easier for me to put, it's easier for me to put my faith in the fact that there was a creator based on the order that I see and the, um, the thoughtfulness. Um, you know, I was at the doctor's office the other day and I was reading one of the posters on the wall about how the, the kidneys work. And I read one paragraph when the doctor came in. I said, how can you read that one paragraph and not believe that somebody smarter than us came up with that whole idea and how it works, right? Mm -hmm. And she happened to be a believer. She said, yeah, that would be pretty tough, right? Mm -hmm. So just for me, looking at the evidence that I can see, um, it's easier for me to put my faith in that there was a, a, a creator or someone who designed that yeah. instead of just chance. That's good. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd agree completely of just this idea that everything that we believe in, that's, that we believe to be right, um, true, 
requires faith. It doesn't matter if it's scientific or if it's spiritual, it requires that faith. And, you know, to be honest, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a part of me that I think is in all of us that wants control. And we want control and, and we want answers, you know, and we just, we want the answers just, we want to know that there's an, an answer there and a, a tangible answer that we can look to. And I think that's the control part of me. And I think a little bit of all of us has that. And so at, at, on some level, uh, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, but on another level, um, the fact that we need, regardless of what we believe in requires faith, it, it kind of comforts me that we're all on the same level. Mm-hmm. It kind of brings, brings everybody down to the same level. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't put anybody up higher than anybody because they know more than, than anybody else. Yeah. Um, faith really brings everybody down to the same place. Yeah. You know. No, I like both those answers a lot. And mine's similar to that. For me, it makes me want to seek out the evidence that you're mm-hmm. talking to about. Because it's so crucial for us to answer this question. Right? It's really a paramount question of where did we come from? And so we should be seeking the evidence that points that out. So that way, together, we can figure this out and learn how to live. You know, I've discovered that how we answer this question of where we came from has influences on almost every part of our life. And so therefore, why not put the time and effort individually and collectively into figuring this out? Because like you're saying, this idea that everybody is kind of in the same field, but none of us can land in the non-answer category. You have to choose one or the other. You can't just float through your life saying, I don't care. Because either way, whether you know it or not, you believe something. You know, and so the fact that we have been given such big brains that are capable of deeper thinking, why not spend some time analyzing the facts to see where we're at? I appreciate you looking me into that. Indeed, we all have right. big brains. Big brains, no. right. And so we're, start, we're starting a new series tonight. I'll just kind of let you stew on that. We're starting a new series tonight called Jesus in the Old Testament. And in this new series, we're going to do two things. The first, for every single week, we're going to look at an apologetic. It's just a big word for proof that the Christian faith is true, that the Bible is real. The second thing we're going to do is look at a passage in the Old Testament in order to figure out who the God of the Old Testament was. Let's start with the apologetics tonight. And it's definitely in the philosophical realm. Some of you might like this, some of you might not. But it's a crucial question to consider. It's real short. You guys ready? How can something come from nothing? I'll say it again. How can something come from nothing? Let me give you an analogy. Can you make a cake without its ingredients? Without flour and eggs and butter and whatever sort of icing you like on there. Can you make that if you have nothing for ingredients? The answer is simple. No. No. Right? Even if you had all the ingredients and you threw them into an oven and you set it on high for a million years and you came back and you saw the most perfect cake ever, right? That would be evolution. Could you have done that if you didn't have ingredients to start with? Again, how can something come from nothing? You know, regardless of how we ended up where we are now, if something or someone had not created the building blocks or the essential life ingredients, how from nothing would come nothing. 
but we definitely live in a world of something, a lot of somethings. So I want you to spend a little time pondering that later this evening. How can something come from nothing? The second thing that we're going to do each week is examine a passage in the Bible of who, in order to look at who the God of the Bible is. You know, week after week, you will see powerful evidence that the Bible is real. Right? And so why not figure out what the Bible says about the one who created everything? You know, at, the very, at its very foundation of the Bible is the fact that there is a God. God is the center of all of it. And the way that a person views their creator has crucial, even pivotal impacts on every part of their life. How they see themselves, how they see others, how they handle tough times, such as the virus we're in the middle of right now. A lot of this stems out of our belief of where we came from. So our hope through studying the God of the Old Testament is that you will figure out who he was, so that way you know who he is and who he will be tomorrow. Because according to the Bible, the God of the Bible does not change. You know, let's look at a couple of verses. James 17, James 1, 17. Is that in the Old Testament? Sorry. If you flip near the back, you'll find it. Page 310. Just kidding. That was a Bible joke. James 1, 17. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no variation or shadow due to change. Also, let's look at Psalms 102. And we don't get the beauty of instant gratification like all of you sitting in front of your computers. Gotta spend the time flipping. Psalms 102, 25 through 27. I love the way David puts it. Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like clothing, and they pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. So in seeking this understanding of who the God of the Bible is, why not start at the beginning? You know, let's see who God is from the very beginning, that the implement, implementation of humanity. And yeah. Chris said he would lead us into Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, and I think that um, it's, it's so important to recognize and to know that um, I believe that the Bible is, is filled with the historical events and the accounts that are telling a story of who God is. And it's less about the, um, you know, it's not an instruction manual of how we're supposed to live our life, but it's, it's showing us, it's God showing and revealing to us who He is, His character, this, this Creator that created everything that we say, that we see out there, and everything that we experience is, is showing us His, His character, His heart, who we are, and His love for us in that. And I think that's so important to, to catch that. And it's so important to, to go to the beginning of that story that he's telling, telling us of who he is. Um, because if we miss the beginning, 
kind of like when you miss the first five minutes of a movie. I mean, I had a, a teacher in high school that said, if you miss the first five minutes of a movie, you might as well walk out because you missed the whole thing. Um, it was an interesting concept, but I believe it's true in the Bible that if you miss the first two pages of the Bible, you miss the Bible. Yeah. Because I think it tells us so much. It's so densely packed with who God is. And so as we jump into Genesis 1 and 2, um, Genesis 1 and 2 is really telling us who God is and, and what he's about, and telling us about our creator. And, and I just want, for our purposes tonight, I want, I want to pull out just three things that Genesis 1 and 2 show us of who God is. And so turning to page 1, uh, line 1 of the Bible, um, we see so much just in this first line. And it's obviously, you know, a famous line in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just in this one line, we see that God, what does that even tell us? That God is outside of time and space. We try to, to figure out God. We try to understand him. But there's an aspect and a mystery to God that we can't understand. It requires that faith, that he's outside time. He was in the beginning, in the beginning. And so, so he's outside of that time, and he begins out of that place to create. Create the things that we understand as space and time. He begins to create the sun and the moons that tell it, kind of dictate our time. And this area that we uh, know as our space. And so he's outside of time and space. And the very second line, I love this, it says, the earth was without form and void, right? And that is what he begins to create out of, right? And there's this, this Hebrew word that's in there, formless and void in the Hebrew is this fun word to say. It's called tohu wabohu, okay? <laughs> tohu wabohu, and it literally means wild and waste, okay? Wild meaning it's it's out of control and waste meaning it's just like, you know, waste is just useless, right? And so he takes something that's wild and out of control and brings it under control, brings control to it. And he takes something that's waste and brings it and makes it useful. And I love that because it shows that we have a God that brings order out of chaos. That he, when, when things are falling apart, he brings it together. And he creates by design. That's what that shows me about who God is. That he creates us by design, and we are created by design and to operate and to work out of that design. And so, those two things right there, but really, this third part of what Genesis 1 and 2 really show us is integral and it's key to understanding us and our relationship with God. And it's the fact that God is the knower and the definer of what is good and what is not good. And throughout the creation story, in Genesis 1 and 2, especially in Genesis 1, we begin to see God creating. And he creates the, the time and the space and, these th and he starts to fill it with creatures and us and gives us purpose in it. And then he begins to say things like, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. He says it over and over again, and then he creates us, and he not only creates us, but he gives us purpose, 
to rule with him and alongside him. And he says, oh, that's very good, right? Yeah. And so he starts to define what's good in this world that he's creating. But not only that, but it's important to know that he's also defining what's not good. If you notice in Genesis 2, chapter 18, he says um, that he looked, let me find it here in my, um, my notes, that he said, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So he defines something that's not good. And he, begin, he creates a helper, right? And so it's important to know that from the beginning, we see that God is outside of time and space. We see that he brings, he's a designer that brings order out of chaos. And he's the knower and definer of what is good and what is not good. And God's role in this whole thing that it shows me is that that's his role to, to know and to define and to show us what's good and not good. What's our role in that whole thing? Our role is to trust and to trust him in defining what's good and not good and to receive from him what's good, to reject what he says is not good in our life. Yeah. And so I think that's so important to understand who God is in that, in just the first two pages of the Bible. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. That's beautiful, Chris. Thanks, yeah. thanks for unpacking, taking the time to unpack that. And there's integral parts in this. You know, part of this new approach, this design to church, it's really just placing things back into your hands, into each of our hands. And so at the end of this, you're going to see questions that are going to stimulate thought and conversation, digging into what Chris is telling you. Because there's so much that he has laid out for you that has so many positive implications in your life, potentially, just depending on what you do with that. That's really good. And so the Bible states that everything, it was made by an intentional, all-powerful creator, right? And everything was good. But you look at our life and our world, right? There's sickness, right? There's disabilities, there's relationship issues, there's death, right? And that is not what is good. So there must be more to the story. Right. So I'm curious, but if you yeah, and, and, and so what's not good is like right in our face right now in this mm -hmm. season, right? Indeed. So there's yeah. there's fear that comes from that and there's there's brokenness and and you know relationships that that aren't right and so all those kinds of things so whereas the first two chapters of genesis start great and in fact they end great and everything's perfect uh, it, right at the beginning of chapter three we see um that it all takes a turn right so <clears throat> but uh, so this created being um in the form of a serpent but we later find out that it's satan um, a, a fallen angel, an angel who was full of pride and arrogance and wanted to be God and was um, expelled from um, heaven, thrown to earth, that uh, this, this Satan comes to what was perfect, the, the garden and the, the woman and the man. And he comes into this uh, perfect situation and he begins to sow um, seeds of doubt and seeds of um, uh, desire for something that was apart from God. And so the, the serpent, um, this form, the serpent begins to whisper to Eve and says, did God really say? 
that you couldn't eat from any of the trees, right? And when I talk to kids about this, I say, God created this whole perfect thing and he had one rule. Like there was one rule. Don't eat from, it wasn't don't eat from any of the trees. It was don't eat from this one tree. Yeah. And, and yet that's right where Satan just draws them to that to say, did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree? And he said, yeah, we can't eat from that tree or we're going to die. That was the that was the consequence. And God was really clear about it. And yet Satan twists that. And I love it because uh, Jesus describes uh, Satan in, in uh, the book of John. He says, uh, Satan lies. And when he lies, he speaks his natural language like there's no truth that comes. But Satan's crafty, right? He's tricky because he'll take the lie and he'll wrap it with a little uh, candy coating of the truth, right? And so Satan says to the woman, like, well, you won't die. Well, she didn't die right then, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And then he wraps it with a little more truth. He says, but if you eat it, you'll become like God. You'll know both good and evil. And see, this comes back to what Chris is talking about, that God defines what's good and God defines what's not good. And up until that point, Adam and Eve were content to trust God with this is what God says is good for us. And so we live in that. Satan begins to, to plant these seeds of doubt to say, you know, you, you could be the definer of what's good and what's not good. And there was something in Eve that was stirred to want that, right? And, and it wasn't just her. We find out that um, her husband, uh, Adam, was with her, right? And, and he was there. It wasn't like she went grocery shopping and took it home and he didn't know where it had come from. He was there. And, and so they, they gave in to that temptation. They, they ate, they disobeyed God by eating um, what he had told them wasn't good to eat. And, and so uh, it's really interesting because later then after this happens, God shows up for their evening walk. And it's, it's, it's such a beautiful um, verse in scripture, right? It says, um, it says in chapter three, verse uh, eight, and it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is so cool that God would come down. It was like it was their regular practice. God would come and he would walk with them in their presence, just being with them. It, I'll tell you, it's a statement about God's real intent and desire that comes out of the creation. It's, it's about relationship. Chris, you're exactly right. The Bible's not an instruction manual about how to live. Mm -hmm. It really is the revelation about the relationship that God wants with us. Mm -hmm. And we see it right there in that verse that he came down to walk with them. But because Adam and Eve had decided to choose what they thought was good over what God had said was good, their relationship then was broken. And so now you see the man and his wife hiding from God, distance from God, 
they were shamed. They, they had shame because they knew that they were naked. And I just, I love it. They're hiding from God. And so God starts calling for them. And in verse 10, Adam answers and he says, I heard that you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid from you. And in verse 11, God says, who told you you were naked? Like that's not information that you used to have because it was a good thing. But now you have redefined it. To say what I created to be good is now you've decided is not good, mm -hmm. right? And so back to the no pants thing, right? Now we don't really get to do that, right? And so, um, well, it is one of the good things about being in quarantine, but, um, but not in this setting right here. So I appreciate your discretion. But what comes out of that then, that disobedience is the, the curse, right? The... the um, the consequence, right? And so God hands out the consequences, which, you know, for the, for the woman is that your, your pain in childbearing is going to be um, greater and you're going to look to your husband um, for, uh, for leadership, right? Rather than this kind of, um, the, the relationship even between Adam and Eve shifted a little yeah. bit. And then for the man, for Adam, um, when he goes and he works to provide for his family, that's going to come with toil, hardship, hurdles now, right? The, the, the world uh, creation is not going to work with him in that, but it's going to work against him, thorns and thistles and, and, and all those kinds of things. And so we see these kinds of uh, um, consequences that come. And it all stemmed from the moment that the man and the woman decided that they were going to define what was good and what was not good rather than trusting God in that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's why we live in the world that we live in. Yeah. Right? Because God gave us free will and we chose to reject the author of life. Therefore, yeah. he said, fine, the world is yours. And we have such limited and broken understanding. So, of course, we're going to ruin the world. But a crucial question to ask is if the author of life, the one who sustains everything, yeah. stepped away, shouldn't, have, shouldn't life have ended immediately, mm -hmm. like the entire world imploded? Mm -hmm. But we see the fact that we're alive in 2020, 6,000, 10,000, 50,000 years have occurred since that fateful day in the garden. So how did that happen? Yeah. Right? If God gave us what we wanted and fully stepped away, we should have nothing. There's only one answer to that. It's because God desired to give us life, to continue to remain faithful to a disobedient people. And we see him do this right off the bat in Genesis 3. You know, right after Adam leaves poor choice, we see God step in in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, or Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now the first thing that God addresses is the evil that brought this rebellion to fruition, and states that it's been cursed. But then he states that it's going to be victoriously defeated. Let me read verse 15 again. Mm -hmm. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now this is a prophecy of Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Chapter 3 of the Bible, we see a prophecy of Jesus. For me, there's no other way to define it. Mm -hmm. And so a man, a descendant of Eve, Eve, one of her offspring, will enter into battle with the serpent, who is most likely Satan. Now if you look at Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is the 43rd generation of Adam and Eve. God also states that Satan will have his way with this descendant. And think about what Jesus went through when he was arrested, beaten, and crucified. Mm -hmm. But then he states that Satan will be defeated by it. Right? And so you think about Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he completely conquered the curse of the garden, death. Right. And if you read Revelation, someday he will utterly destroy all evil, mm -hmm. Satan and everything that he is introducing. Now remember, our goal in this series is to look at who the God of the Bible is, mm -hmm. then so we can figure out who he is now. So I'm curious, Chris, Boomer, what does this show us about the God of the Bible? I think for me that um, it shows his, his love for us and that he, um, even though when we turn away and we rebel, he continues to provide. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, the, the, the first thing he does is offer provision mm -hmm. and not only does he provide for us in the fact that we weren't just obliterated <laughs> and he continues to sustain the world that we live in so that we can live in and enjoy him through that um, but he provides by saying hey I'm gonna you've done this but I'm gonna take care of it mm -hmm. and it's kind of this this love that uh, that doesn't make sense mm. to us, yeah. you know, and so it just it communicates to me God's love for us as his creation that he called very good. That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. And yeah. I think, you know, for me that, um, you know, verse 15 um, sets in the motion that God is going to stay active and involved in the history that was to come, right? Yeah. So that's an odd phrase, isn't it? The history that was to come. Yeah. But but that but God was going to stay involved in it. He had a plan. And so now, you know, even from chapter 3, and then you go all the way through all the rest of the Old Testament narrative, and then we're introduced to this character of Jesus in the very beginning of the New Testament, where then it begins to kind of, we, we begin to get some answers to what God is showing us or um, alluding to all through the Old Testament, but God was working his plan. He had a plan. Mm -hmm. And all of that was leading to um, this restoration of the relationship, right? And, and so right there in that verse, he's saying, yep. you know, Satan's gonna do some damage, but it's not gonna be fatal, yep. right? Yep. And yet what, what the son's gonna do, yep. right, is, mm -hmm. is gonna completely, destroy right yeah. and uh, th those two words right he's the 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 man will crush um, the snake the snake will strike his heel that's painful right yeah. that the the crucifixion and the um, the three days in the grave that it was painful right mm -hmm. but what came out of that was total destruction absolutely for um, for the evil one that's and good. he didn't see it coming yeah. it's a beautiful little twist in the yeah. story you know? I like it yeah. and so he gives him hope yeah. because of his love 
Yeah, yeah. Right? that's the exact same thing I see out of that. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is, right, God is who he was then, yeah. and who he is now, and who he will be. And so if you want examples similar to what we see with Adam and Eve of hope for what is to come, look at your own life. Mm. Right? If you spend time looking back at your past, I promise you will find things. You know, and it could be just with general sort of hope. This idea of how many times has the sun risen in your okay. life? How many times have you been held to an earth that's spinning a thousand miles an hour? Okay. How well have the natural cycles continued to work to bring you life? And how much of that have you done? Mm -hmm. yeah. right. Why does that all happen? Because of the God of the Bible who made everything and sustains everything. You want hope for tomorrow? Look at what he's done for you the last 40 years. Last 35 years, the last 12 years, the last 80 years. And you might also have bigger stories like Boomer and I have. A heart attack nine years ago. Falling 30 feet down a face cliff almost four years ago. Times where we should have died. Yeah. And it wasn't easy to move out of that. But we look back now and we see, man, there's a reason why we're still alive. And Steve Bosley, the former pastor of Rimrock, used to always say, at least when he was in the midst of terminal cancer, a person does not die a day before God wants them to. Mm -hmm. right? And if you look back at your life, all the days you've, have you, you've been given, it's because of God. Mm -hmm. And I say this so that way you can look at the hope you have for tomorrow. If you are to live tomorrow, you will. There's no other way around it. I think that we can also just take that and begin to just open our eyes to the daily things in our life too. Uh, I mean, we have probably examples in our life of major things that have happened that we can see, we can look back and we see God pulled us through that time. Um, and those are good to look back and see on those things. But I think that also what's good is looking at our daily life at the, at the small things yep. that um, those times where, where something could have drastically went a different way and it didn't. Yeah. And we can kind of put our eyes on God and, and practice the fact that he's present with us now and he's orchestrating things as we go. Um, I think it's important to, to see those in the daily. You know. yeah, I fully agree. Yeah. yeah, our family has a practice of when we see those things, and usually we don't see them until we look back at the day or the week or the month or the year. But when we when we look back and we see those things, we make a record of them um, on a rock, right? Yeah. We just kind of keep this this basket of rocks at our house mm -hmm. because. Well, I don't know about you guys. As soon as I go to bed, I forget pretty yeah. much everything that's yeah. happened. So when I remember those things, I write them yeah. in, in that way. Uh -huh. But those, you know, we talk about miracles and we, we tend to think of miracles as these really big interventions, which mm -hmm. God certainly does and he can do. But, but the miraculous is the everyday, the sun that comes up and the gravity that continues to work, right? Yeah. Because it's Christ that's holding all that together. Yeah, 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 it's good. And what's amazing is that he doesn't only give them hope for the future, Adam and Eve, he also provides for them what they need in, that, in their moment, yeah. in their here and now. Yeah. We see this in verse 21. Yeah. Genesis 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. You know, this is really easy 
to just skim over as we continue through. But you gotta think, Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, which means they're leaving the direct presence of their creator and going into a world that is now hostile. Mm -hmm. Like Boomer kind of explained what it said in Genesis 3, they're gonna experience physical pain, relational pain. Adam is gonna have to toil with an earth that wants to do nothing but fight back against him. And instead of God simply kicking them out and locking the door, like letting them walk off in their inadequate fig leaf suits, he most likely kills a perfect lamb in order to clothe them. So let's look at it one more time. Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. Now based on what we see in chapter 4, Abel was a keeper of sheep, so most likely this was a sheep. Now there's at least two reasons God does this for them. First one, spiritually. Now it states that every sin is punishable by death. Romans 6, 23 and Romans 5, 12, right? Levi will put those up on the screen so you guys can see them. It states that everything is punishable. Every sin is punishable by death. Now because God is just, Adam and Eve should have been justly put to death right there. But because God not only wanted Adam and Eve to experience good in the years to come, but also experience it in the here and now, he killed a perfect creature in order for them to be justified for the sin that they had committed. And what's incredible, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So we see it right off the bat, this analogy of what is to come. The second reason he did it for them was to take care of them physically. Right? He chooses to step into their broken world in order to give them what they needed in their hearing now. Now imagine like moving into an unknown world, learning to camp butt naked. Right? Learning the art of farming completely nude. Right? Hanging out in the cold and all the different things that come in your day-to-day life as bare as the day you were born. Now for Adam, I'm sure he was stoked. Right? But Eve, she had to have been a bit annoyed by this whole situation. But either way, God steps in to provide them with what they desperately needed in order to live a good life in their here and now. So in again, a, in a what, sense, he's covering their shame, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, were, they, didn't, they knew that they were naked. It caused shame where they hid from God. And in a way, yep. he's, covering, he's covering the shame that their sin brought on them as well. Indeed. And they so already tried with fake leaves, but he's like, let me do you one better. Right. You know? <laughs> and so what does this idea tell us about yeah. God now? The way that he stepped in to treat their here and now. Yeah, I, I mean, really that he cares about the details of, of where we are. It may not be where he hopes that we will be someday or where, I mean, I think about it as a parent sometimes. I just kind of want to say, well, you, you kind of got yourself into a mess, so... You know, you're going to have to deal with some of those consequences. Adam and Eve had a lot of consequences they did have to deal with, but God um, met that need. He saw it. He was, uh, he was generous with them. He was caring to them, even in the midst of this was the mess that they had um, mm. created for themselves. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. I'm just like, God, God does care about where we're at yeah. right now. Yeah. And he, he comes and he steps in and meets our needs right now yeah. you know and how many needs have have been met for us just today yeah. right you know absolutely um, yeah 
And people love examples. Let me give you an example from my life. Last week, Roz and I, we own um, vacation rentals, and the uh, vacation industry is not doing quite so hot right now. <laughs> and so last week, we were freaking out because we could see our bank account was just going to go to zero, and how would we continue to provide ourselves and our kids with the life that we want? But we were very intentional, my wife especially, about seeking God over the last week, and it's amazing where we're at now. It's night and day difference. Mm -hmm. like we have a level of peace that completely is covering so much of where we used to be. Yeah. And out of that stress and anxiety, our relationship was definitely getting hit, right? In the same way Adam and Eve's were. Yeah. And now we're at a beautiful place of peace and love yeah. and just sincerity with one another. Yeah. And so he just steps in, in the midst of my own brokenness, my own inadequate trust of him, which I should have done from the beginning, yeah. um, in order to give me what I needed. That's incredible. That's cool. Yeah. And so as, as we wrap up, I really hope you are seeing who God was from the outset of humanity. Like Chris mentioned, he was full of love for his creation. He demonstrated this by creating us, by intentionally bringing us to existence. Adam and Eve were not a byproduct of chance. They were intentionally created. As were you, and you, and you, and you. With a purpose. With a purpose, yeah. right? We are alive today because an all-powerful being wants us to be. We have been created for purposes laid out ahead of time to be our way of life. Right? You, that's Ephesians 2.10. You are in March 2020 for specific reasons. Nothing of chance brings you here today. We also saw that God demonstrate his love for Adam and Eve by showing them mercy. By stepping into the consequences of their own foolishness in order to give them hope for the day or for the future, and provision for the day, right? He wants to do the same for you. He wants to bring you hope in the middle of your pain. He wants to provide you what you need for this moment. You know what's interesting? This is what a lot of people would say about Jesus, right? right? Not the God of the Old Testament, but rather Jesus is the one that wants to do all these things. Mm -hmm. But the reality is Jesus has always been a part of who God is. He was not a last-minute addition that God had to throw in in order to make things right. He has been there from the beginning as a fundamental part of the equation. Levi, put up those two verses. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Sorry, no instant gratification on your end, computer people. Speaking of Jesus, for in him all things in heaven and earth were created, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, who's that talking about? Jesus. We also see this in John 1, first four verses. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has life came into being in Him. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And we need to understand that Jesus did not change God's mind about us. He is not someone that we have to hide behind so that way we are not punished by the just and rageful creator. Right? He is God. And in Jesus we see the core traits of who God was. 
right? Like, like Chris started us off, God is real. God is good. And he directly desires to interact with every part of our life. Man, there's so much that applies to your life right now in all of this. Right? If you go to the one who made you, you will get the life that you want. So we're going to get to finish up with Blake and Mia singing. And when they're done, you're going to see three or four questions flash onto your screen. I heavily, strongly encourage you to look into those. Right? You probably remember 5 or 10% of what we said, but if you want this to truly impact your brain and your your heart and therefore your relationships and the life that you live, spend five to ten minutes thinking through these and figuring out the way they apply to your life. Let's sing away, Blake. I will sing, 
you today. Uh, we declare over all of this uh, sickness and all of this virus that uh, you are God. And we believe in you. You're the God who loves us and who's clothed us um, and has saved us from the beginning, God. Um, so we surrender to you. We praise you even before our breakthrough, um, understanding that you are and you've always been the same God. God, have your way in this place. We love you. <laughs> 